the Egyptian king orders that all male Hebrew children must be killed. Moses' mother saves him by hiding him in a basket where he is found by the king's daughter. A reading from the book of Exodus. Now a new king rose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks upon the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks they were, that were imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. If it, but, if it is a, but if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with the midwives and the people and multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. The Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. The word of the Lord. The psalm appointed for this morning is Psalm 124. 
on pay, on, starting on the bottom of page 3 in your booklet. If you would please stand as we read together. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel now say, If the Lord had not been on our side, when enemies rose up against us, then we swallowed up in their fierce anger toward us. Then would the raging Then would the raging waters have gone right over us. Blessed be the Lord. He has not given us over to the prey for their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Paul urges listeners to offer their whole selves, body and soul, as a thankful response to God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. A reading from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to, res to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one, one body, we have many members, and not all members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now when, the, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Be seated, please. Our Old Testament story is wonderfully rich. Um, it's the beginning, of course, of the book of Exodus, and the book of Exodus will go on and narrate um, the 
release of the Israelites from captivity in Egypt. But in these few short verses that we read, um, the author sets up the story so that we know what's coming. He covers all of salvation history very quickly. Um, he calls this people in the first few verses the Israelites, but then he switches and begins to call them the Hebrews. Um, the word Hebrew means something like illegal immigrant. Um, the Hebrews, all of the, the ancient Near Eastern empires had Habiru um, that they talked about. And these were the folks who sort of lived on the margins. They weren't sure where they'd come from. They kind of infiltrated. Um, they were dangerous. Um, so the best translation I can come up with is illegal immigrants. These Hebrews are fruitful and multiply. That's exactly what God told all of um, animal kind at creation and humankind after Noah's Ark. Be fruitful and multiply. Now the king in any ancient Near Eastern empire is supposed to guarantee fertility. And here we have these illegal immigrants, these people on the edge who are fruitful and multiply. So already we know we've got a situation of reversal coming. The king is not very powerful. And because he's afraid, he sets out on a policy of genocide. Kill these Hebrews. He tells the midwives, whenever you see one of them on the birth stool, if it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, let it live. Not a very effective way of doing genocide. The, the population will continue to grow. Besides which, it's precisely the males who will be his slaves and do the work. So he's not a very smart guy. Um, and, the, and the author of the story wants us to get that. He's not very smart. And the midwives don't cooperate with him. And they give an excuse. Well, before we can get there, the babies are born. These Hebrews, these illegal immigrants are so good at this fertility, which you, king, are supposed to guarantee that we can't possibly stop it. So he issues an order to his whole people and says, okay, throw all of the baby boys into the Nile. The Nile is supposed to be for the Egyptians the source of life, not the source of death. And so again, the author of the story wants us to see that there is a great reversal at work here. When Moses' mother sees her baby boy, he noticed, she notices that it is a fine baby. Um, the word used in Hebrew is exactly the same word that God uses when God steps back and views God's creation and says, it is good. This is a good boy, a good baby. So. She wants to save it. She makes a basket of papyrus and covers it with bitumen and pitch, which is exactly what Noah covered his ark with. And so here again, a little bit of salvation history woven into the story. But again, there's a marvelous reversal. In the mythologies of the ancient Near East, the king was divine. Well, how do you get a divine person to be raised by a human family? by confusing the babies. The divine child floats down the river in an ark. A human family discovers it, raises that child, and from humble origins, this child then becomes king. But not really humble because we, we know that he was divine. The author takes that story and flips it over. A humble child is put into that ark and raised by the royal household. 
And one last reversal in the story, the word Moses is an Egyptian word, and it means royalty. And we're told that what it means is in Hebrew, I have drawn you out. It's a homophone, but it's not the word Moses. And so we're reversing expectations once again. So we know that that's what's coming in the story. This group of people is going to turn out to be the powerful group rather than Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Our gospel story deals with reversals also, though not quite so obviously. I was struck in reading it this time by something that hadn't hit me before. First of all, Jesus is in the region of Caesarea Philippi. Herod had built the city, Caesarea, and named it for Caesar. When he died and divided up his kingdom among his sons, his son Philip got that region, so Philip rebuilt the city and named it not just for Caesar, but for himself, Caesarea Philippi. So here we are in a, in a setting that speaks of hubris and arrogance and empire. And Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? In Mark's Gospel, which is the first Gospel and Matthew is copying it, Jesus' question is, who do people say I am? And so Matthew is changing this and wants us to pay attention to it. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they give their answers. And then he says, but you, who do you say that I am? And so Matthew is drawing a distinction between the Christ and the Son of Man. Never noticed that before. The Son of Man is an eschatological figure who comes at the end of the ages to give people their just deserts. When you see the Son of Man returning on the clouds of glory, then you will know that the end has come. Not the Christ for Matthew. The Son of Man pays people back for what they have done, punishes the wicked and rewards the good. The Christ for Matthew does something else. So Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood haven't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And you are rocky, and on this rock I will build my church. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get more readings about what the church is. This is the only time in the Gospels that the word church is used. Jesus is establishing a church now. And to Peter, and later to the disciples, Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. We have the responsibility for admitting people to the church or denying them admission. The church now, not the kingdom at the end, is what's important to Matthew. The Son of Man doesn't come to set things to rights at the end of time, but we are involved in doing that now. Moses takes the story, or the Exodus takes the story of this group of illegal immigrants being formed into a people and says, this is what's important. Matthew is turning the story over in the same way. It's not the end of time when God comes to set things to rights, but it's now that you admit or deny admission to people. This group of people, this church, is where it's at. I once heard Bishop Smith call the Episcopal Church the island of lost toys. Um, we're where everyone who has no other place ends up. That's exactly Matthew's point. This church this group of misfits, this bunch of illegal immigrants, 
is what God's plan was right from the beginning. On this rock, the recognition that Jesus is the Christ, I will build my church, and everyone that you admit is admitted. Amen.